we're continuing a series titled, Say What? Uh, it's about the miracles and the message of Jesus. We've been in the Luke of, uh, book of Luke, sorry, we've been in the book of Luke um, these past four weeks looking at things like the authority of Christ and how heaven rejoices over those who are found. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we took a little detour out of Luke into the book of Psalms and talked about the pathway to peace. And then last week, we were back in Luke uh, and talking about entering the kingdom as children of God. Today, we're going to continue into the book of Acts, and we'll be in the book of Acts for the next several weeks. Um, and we're talking about bold belief today. There's a lot that we can learn about the early church and the boldness that they possessed from the very beginning of the book of Acts. And uh, it fits really, really well with our say what theme. There's been a question mark implied in much of, of what we've talked about. Like you read it and you hear about a miracle or you hear about an element of Jesus's message and you say, what? Like, really? Did he really do that? Did he really say that? Does he really want us to respond to that? And today we're shifting gears a little bit. We're taking the question mark out. In fact, the book of Acts kind of takes the question mark out. There's still some miracles and there's a lot uh, of time and, and space and energy devoted to the message of Jesus. But there is a, a third exclamation point that we are going to say what Jesus has done in our life, that we are going to proclaim it. We are going to declare it, much like the song that we just sang, which is based on one of the great creeds of our faith, of our Christian faith. Uh, that we must declare that we believe that Jesus is the Lord. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in these things, and we, we rely on them. They're the foundation of our faith. And we see a fair amount of that going on in the book of Acts and the intensity of the importance of proclaiming that message, declaring that message. And in fact, it's kind of timely if you've driven by on 57th Street, if you're watching online, or you may have noticed if you came in this morning that our electronic sign is down. And I thought, well, that's interesting timing. Um, and I started to puzzle about that. And it's amazing. I was curious. I wonder how many people drive by on 57th Street on a given day. And thanks to the miracle of the internet, you don't have to wonder for very long. I just plugged that into the Google machine. I said traffic counts in Sioux Falls, and I started getting all this information. And lo and behold, there is a traffic counter right between Tomar and Cliff, right out there. And it's got data for the last few years. And how many people do you think drive by on a given day, average, for 2020? How many people think it's 10,000 people a day? How many people think it's 20,000 people a day? How many people think more? Hands going up. 16,000 people a day. So it was right in between those first two. 16,000 people a day drive by on there and see that electric sign. And it's down. So here's what I need you to do. I need you and you who are watching online to invite 16,000 people a day. I did the math. It's doable. It's doable. Okay? We average 278 people a week, a Sunday, online and in person, in the month of December, which was pretty modest increase over the prior year. So that's exciting. Um, but if you do the math, that's only 57 people a day, okay? And with social media, you can totally knock that out. If you don't have a social media account, you're going to have to get busy um, because you might not even see 57 people face-to-face. -face. Um, but if we all, you know, we all do our part. Some people will do a little more. Some people do a little less. We can replace that electronic sign. Now, the good news is it's under warranty, but the bad news is it's going to take two or three weeks to get the 
parts and everything else. So just two, three weeks, get in the habit of it, and then when we get the electronic sign back, you don't have to stop inviting 57 people a day to Linwood. You can keep doing it. Um, and that'll be a great application of our Say What series, and you'll feel so good about doing your part. Um, but I want to get into Acts, and we're going to have a lot of Scripture today. Most of it's going to be between Acts 2, 3, and 4. That's the main thrust. We'll dive down into the Psalms uh, a couple of times because they just really go right hand in hand um, with what we're studying in Acts. Um, and I'm going to start in Acts 2, and this really is a setup for the message. And if you've been reading in the Banding Together journals, you know the context. I don't need to do a lot of setup. If you're not reading in the Banding Together journals, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, you can pick up a journal here after church. If you're watching online and you need a journal, send us a message. We can ship one to you. We can get one to you one way or another. Um, but we've been reading through the book of Acts this past week. And uh, Jesus ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 1, and then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and it's amazing. You really should read it. It's, it's, you read it and you go, say what? Like tongues of fire on their heads and speaking in all the different languages? And, and then Peter, you know, Peter who denied even knowing Jesus to a slave girl a few weeks earlier, gets up and preaches this sermon, this amazing sermon. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins proclaiming the Word of God. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 41. I want to read this to you. This is sort of the end of Peter's sermon. This is the conclusion. Um, he says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they just had a tangible expression of what that meant. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Don't read over that. That's amazing. Say, what? 3,000? It's a mega church overnight. It went from like a house church, like an upper room church, to a mega church overnight. And they didn't have a place where all 3,000 could meet, so they all started little churches in their homes, and, and, and they just naturally did this. And you read about this, it's just phenomenal, and it's amazing to consider. And this is, this is what took place. So we kind of have to understand what's happening here. There is a bold proclamation that goes forth from Peter. He stands up and he interprets these events and he interprets what happened with the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he does so through scripture. And he says that this is essentially what Joel prophesied would happen back in Joel 2. And, and most of his audience would be familiar with this. He's saying, this is the day of the Lord that Joel spoke about hundreds of years ago. It's happening right now. And Joel said that God spoke through Joel and declared, I will pour out my spirit on all people, not just Jewish men, all people, not just Jews, all people, not just men, all people, men and women would prophesy. They would speak the words of God. They would boldly proclaim them. And Peter is an example of this. In other places, they refer to them as unschooled, ordinary men, that, that 
He didn't have seminary training. He, didn't, he wasn't a rabbi, but he had been with Jesus, and he had received the Holy Spirit, and he stands up and boldly proclaims what he believes. And when they ask, what should we do? He said, repent and be baptized. Repent, that's the personal inner decision to turn 180 degrees from the direction I was going to the direction that the Spirit is going. I turn and keep in step with the Spirit and be baptized. Baptism is the public profession of that faith. And so that's why we showed baptism on the clip, you know, coming in. That those are four students that made a public profession of their faith. There were almost 100 people in here on that Wednesday night. All of their peers, a lot of their friends were there, their family members, children, other members from their church were there to watch them and to celebrate as they made a public profession of their faith. And so the baptism is not a private thing. It's a public thing. It's a public proclamation that I am a believer in Jesus Christ. And this meant something then that it maybe doesn't mean quite as much today. Because then they were going on record. People were watching them be baptized. They were going on record as I am essentially leaving Judaism and stepping into Christianity, stepping into the way, as it was called, stepping into being a follower of Jesus Christ. They're basically saying everything we sang in that last song before the message, that's inherent in their baptism. They're saying we believe those things. We believe that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He was divine. And he died, and he was resurrected. This is amazing. So when they were baptized, it carried a lot of weight with them. And I'm not diminishing baptism today. In fact, the public aspect of baptism was not something I personally thought all that much about until I came up out of the water and 500 people went nuts, and I only knew about 30 of them. (laughs) So 470 strangers. And suddenly I drove differently, and I talked differently, and I just like, I couldn't stand the thought that somebody who saw me baptized would hear me say or see me wave the way I was in the habit of waving at the time with just full confession. I used to wave with one finger sometimes when I'd see somebody in traffic and I didn't like the move that they had just made. I couldn't do that anymore. I had just been baptized. I didn't want to think about flying the bird with somebody that had seen me be baptized and make a public profession of my faith. And so there's elements in which this public profession is very, very real. And yet, in our context, in a family of families, you do know most of the people. You should still be serious and take serious what it means to be baptized and what it means about your witness in the world. And that's why we have the Made New Banner. That's why we talked about that last week. That's why we're going to keep this around and give people an opportunity to come and to sign. A number of people have signed it last week. Other people are looking up the date. Some people have emailed in and said, hey, this is when we were baptized. Would you add our name to the banner? And it'll become this testimony of the public profession of faith that was made maybe eight years ago or 20 years ago or a couple of weeks ago. And you can look over that. And you can be reminded of those. And so I share some of that to to keep planting that seed. We're going to have a baptism class on February 14th. So if you have questions about baptism or you'd like to learn more or maybe have children who are asking questions about baptism, bring them to the class on the 14th after church, after the 1030 service. And then on the 21st, we're going to have baptisms in both services. And I'm excited. We've had about 10 people that have indicated they want to be baptized on February 21st. And so if you feel the Spirit moving, if you feel the Spirit tapping on your shoulder, if you think that maybe that's one of your next steps, 
then I hope you'll lean into that. And if you have questions, you can reach out to me, you can reach out to Pastor Sandy, you can reach out to Pastor Zach, you can reach out to Pastor Keith, and you could ask those questions, or you could just come to the class on the 14th. But we're going to have a major celebration on the 21st, and I'm excited about it. And so that kind of tells you what was going on at the end of Acts chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost, and then the church is born, and we read about that in Acts 2, 42 through 47. A very famous passage of Scripture. We're not even going to touch on it because if I start, I won't be able to stop, and we'll be here till noon just for this service. <laughs> so the church starts meeting, and then in Acts chapter 3, there's a story of an individual healing that takes place with Peter and John on their way to the temple, and they heal a crippled man. And it's an undeniable miracle. It's an undeniable manifestation of the power of God in them. And another sermon breaks out. Peter stands up and declares again. And then in the early part of chapter 4, they're seized and they're imprisoned overnight. And we read in chapter 4, verse 7, that the number of, dis- of apostles, or sorry, the number of those that believed uh, had grown from 3,000 to 5,000. So this thing is just growing like crazy, growing like wildfire. And that's where we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 4, which will really set the table for the, the main message that we have today about bold belief. And so in Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, you can read along with me if you have a Bible with you, or it'll be on the screen. We read these words, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, so he's been called to account, he's speaking before the Sanhedrin, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He, Jesus, is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And so again, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. Now he's not just talking to the masses. He's talking to the power brokers. He's talking to the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the leaders of Israel. He's talking to the people that got Jesus killed, essentially. So there is a new level of boldness here. He's standing in front of the people that could also try to have him killed. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he makes a bold proclamation. And I want to focus and spend the rest of our time this morning talking about three areas that the early believers were bold, where we see them exhibiting boldness. And the first is in their proclamation. The, the, the amount of, of proclamation and the boldness in their proclamation uh, gets off to a very fast start here in the book of Acts, and it continues, and we see it grow and we see that perhaps most clearly in Peter's sermons uh, in 2, X 2 and 3, a couple of the passages we've looked at so far at the end of chapter 2, here uh, towards the beginning of chapter uh, 4. And yet we see this throughout. And there are a number of sermons. And it's not just Peter. Next thing you know, it's Stephen and then Paul. And it goes on and on from there. And people are, are bold in their proclamation. And it makes a lot of sense because Jesus, the last thing he said to them before he ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 was, you will receive power. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That was Pentecost. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the utter ends of the earth. And so Jesus is saying, you're going to receive power and you're going to be my witnesses. Now, what do witnesses do? Witnesses tell what they have seen and heard. 
And so he's basically, all of you are going to tell what you have seen and heard. You're going to tell what has taken place over the last few years that you've been following me around. You're going to tell about the miracles. You're going to tell about the message. You're going to say what? You're going to tell what has happened. And if you were reading in the Banding Together journals, you know that on the day that we read Acts 1, we also read Psalm 9. And this just, I love it when this happens because we see these these overlaps in Scripture. And in Psalm 9, we read the same time that we read Acts 1, we read Psalm 9, and here's what David says in Psalm 9. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your wonders. I'll be a witness. This is David saying this hundreds of years before Jesus told them, you'll be my witnesses. And then at the end of Psalm 9, he says, sing praises to the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he has done. And I love these little overlaps and, and the congruency that we see in Scripture, and it just kind of jumps off the page at me sometimes when I'm reading my journal, and I, I read one chapter from the Old Testament and one chapter from the New Testament, and they're saying the same things, or they're reinforcing each other, and you see the, the integrity of Scripture and the congruency of Scripture. So I want to encourage you to watch for that if you're reading in here, or watch for that in whatever you're reading. See how the message is consistent throughout, and how this idea that we are to proclaim His praises, His wonders, we're to proclaim to the nations, to all people, who He is and what He's done. But there's another thing in Acts 1-8 that I don't want to miss, and that's this idea when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say you ought to be, you should be, you're invited to be. He says, you will be my witnesses. And that should give us pause, because he's basically saying witnessing is not optional. We're either going to be faithful and fruitful witnesses for God, or we're going to be unfaithful and unfruitful witnesses for God. And we have to make sure because that, that we're intentional about this, because the faithfulness and the fruitfulness varies from one person to another, and it varies you know, sometimes I sit down on the plane, and I just don't want to evangelize to the person next to me. And maybe you feel the same way. And yet, I still have to say a little prayer that goes like, God, if you want me to say something, open the door and shove me through it. Because right now, I'm not feeling it. But you didn't say that I only had to witness when I feel like it. And sometimes I'm getting a haircut, and I don't necessarily know if I want to invite that person to church in my feelings. But I know that I'm a witness, and if the door opens, and I could even nudge the door a little bit, and I could even set the table a little bit to have that conversation to be a witness for Christ. So he doesn't say when you feel like it. He doesn't say when you're on cloud nine. He doesn't say when you're on the mountaintop. He said, whether you're in the mountains or the valleys, you'll be my witnesses. Will you be faithful and fruitful witnesses or not? That's the part that we get to determine. And so that's Acts 1-8, and that's Acts 4, 8 and 12, and Jesus standing before, or I'm sorry, Peter standing before the, the Sanhedrin. But there's, there's another kind of element to this if we carry on through Acts chapter 4 and the next uh, few verses. And I really want to read that to you as well under this idea that they were bold in their proclamation. Because they kind of send them out in verses 13 through 17, and they try to decide what to do with them. And and they're like, we can't deny that a miracle was done, but at the same time, we want them to be quiet. And so they bring him back in, and they tell him again, do not speak in this name. And that's where we start in verse 18. They called him in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, again, boldness. Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. 
For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They can't help it. You can threaten us. You can lock us up. You can beat us. You can do what you're going to do. It's not going to stop us. We cannot help. We're obeying God. We're not obeying you. And so we see a boldness in their proclamation, that they refuse to be silenced. And we see a consistency in their proclamation. We're told in, in verse 20, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen. We can't help witnessing. We can't help but tell people what we've seen and heard. And their message is consistent. Their message is the gospel. Their message is that Jesus is the Christ, that he is who he said he was that he did what he said he'd do, that he was resurrected, and that he is in heaven now. That was their message. It was the gospel. They weren't talking about their rights, and this is important to understand. They didn't, they didn't stand up and, and de- declare that they had rights as Hebrew men or as participants in the city or anything else. They stood up and declared the gospel, and they would not be silenced in their proclamation of the gospel. And that leads to the second area where we see them exhibiting boldness because their persecution is just getting started. But they exhibited great boldness in the face of persecution. They exhibited great boldness in this. They were imprisoned wrongfully. They were interrogated. They were threatened. And it just amps up from here. We'll see that they get flogged. Many of them die as martyrs. If you keep reading, I hate to spoil the the story, but maybe you've heard it before. Most of them end up dying as martyrs. But they were bold in the face of persecution. And that word persecution means literally hunting down and punishing in order to suppress. There's a kind of a word picture. It means there's a hunt, we're going to hunt you down and we're going to punish you. In fact, we see this. We see this in the narrative. As you read in the next week, you're going to see people going and hunting down believers and throwing them in prison. And they were bold in their persecution. And in response to verses 19 and 20, last year I wrote in my journal uh, these verses we just looked at about, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We can't stop telling about what we've seen and heard. I wrote, I love these verses and I find them to be both challenging and inspiring to me. The way they evidence their willingness to trust and obey wholeheartedly in front of some very powerful people is so profound. I also love that they return to the group and pray for even greater boldness rather than for protection or the death of their enemies, which I might have prayed for. They seem to know who's really in charge and trust him completely. You see, they know who's really in charge and they trust him completely. They're not worried. They're not shaken. They trust him. And again, Psalm 1, I'm sorry, Psalm 11, verse 1 read the same time. It's the passage that we read alongside Acts 4, where David writes, I trust in the Lord for protection. It really is that simple. Do we trust in the Lord for protection? Do we trust in the Lord that even though the next few years or the next few decades look uncertain and there's all kinds of things that could go wrong or could change, we know that eternity is in good hands. And so we look up and we take an eternal perspective and we trust in the Lord for protection, that eternity is taken care of if we are in Christ Jesus. And if we're not in Christ Jesus, then that needs to be our first priority, to get in Christ Jesus. And if people we care about are not in relationship with Jesus, 
If their eternity is not secure, then that needs to be our first priority, that their eternity would be secured. If we really love them, we would say what Jesus has done. We would talk about our coming to faith, give our testimony, and try to be just as convincing as Peter in their lives, trusting God and keeping an eternal perspective so that we will be bold in our persecution. The song that we sang right after we prayed the Lord's Prayer, what joy, what joy for those whose hope is in the name of the Lord. What peace, what peace for those whose confidence is in him alone. Look at these disciples. This is kind of crazy. This is a say what moment. In chapter 5, verses 41 and 42, they do this thing again. They bring him in. They threaten him. They put him in prison. They flog him. And we're told this in verses 41, 42 of Acts chapter 5, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for the name of Jesus. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Day after day, they never stopped. They were bold in their proclamation and they were bold in the face of persecution. But there's a third area where they were bold, and perhaps this one was before the other two. They were bold in their prayers. They were bold in their prayer before God. And they saw prayer as a first response, not a last resort. And sometimes I wring my hands for a while, and I think, gosh, what am I going to do? I had a, a car part fail and I was thinking it was going to be a big expensive repair. And I'm like, this is going to, it was the fan blower. And I'm thinking that's going to be hundreds of dollars. I'm not even sure the car is worth hundreds of dollars. I don't know if I want to spend hundreds of dollars repairing it. And it'll still be worth almost nothing. And I kind of just hemmed and hawed and tried to decide, is it, now is it time to, and I finally just Googled it again, thanks to the internet. I Googled it and it's a $60 part and it's a repair that pretty much anybody that can stand on their head in the passenger seat floorboard can do. Like, it's not that difficult. And 30 minutes later, it was over. 30 minutes and $60, and I had spent all this time. You know what changed? I prayed that morning. I was like, I'm going to just pray. God, show me what to do. And then I finally Googled it, and it's totally doable. And I'm like, why didn't I pray first? I could have saved myself a week of wondering back and forth, what am I going to do about the car? Do I need to buy a new car? I don't really want to buy a new car. I could have saved all of that if I would have just started with prayer. And they start with prayer. This is what we read. We're back in Acts chapter 4 now. They've been sent away. They were told, do not speak in this name. They said, well, hey, you know what? We're going to have to decide whether we're going to obey you or God. Guess what? We're going to obey God because we can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. And then we pick up in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. Does that sound familiar? You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. You see that they, they're quoting scripture, that song we sang, what joy. It's rooted in Psalm 146. And then they quote David in Psalm 2. They're interpreting their current situation through the promises and the prophecies of scripture. But they don't stop there. 
In verse 27, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Psalm 2 just took place, they're saying. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, here's the prayer. Here's the request. Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I love this prayer. It's a great template for prayer, especially prayer in the face of persecution, prayer in the face of of threat to them. They're in real danger. And they begin by acknowledging God's sovereignty, that He is really in charge. They start in verse 24, sovereign Lord, they said. They're reminding themselves, He's sovereign, He's in charge. He's not up there wringing his hands trying to figure out what to do next. And then they quote scripture to themselves. They remind themselves that he created it all. And they remind himself that that David spoke about this day, that it was going to happen. And they're interpreting their current situation through the promises and prophecies found in scripture. It's a really good idea. But you have to know what scripture said in order to do that. And it's interesting because sometimes people tell me, not as much as they used to, because I've kind of gotten known for encouraging people to read the Word. But people used to say, well, that's just not my thing, Pastor. That's Scripture. That's, that's not my thing. And I want to say, is going into battle without a sword your thing? Like, read Ephesians 6 and the armor of God. It's all defensive except for one offensive weapon. And you know what it is? It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And what do soldiers do with their swords? Do they pack them up in their bags and never touch them until the day of battle? No. They work with them all the time. They train with them. They know how it feels, how it fits. They know how to wield their sword. And that's what the Word of God is for us. It's our only offensive weapon. And so we need to train with it. We need to spend time with it. Jesus, when he was, when he was tempted by Satan... In the wilderness, what did he do? He quoted scripture. Each time Satan tried to tempt him, he had a scripture. And we can do the same, and we see the disciples doing the same thing. They're praying scripture, they're quoting scripture. Peter's quoting scripture in his sermons. When they're up in front of the Sanhedrin, they're quoting scripture. It's their their sword, it's their weapon. In fact, just this week, I've shared these before, these uh, Coffee with Jesus. It's a great little cartoon. And you can follow this uh, Radio Free Babylon on, on Facebook. I think I shared this one, so you can find me and you can follow and watch, them, watch for them. They, they release one of these every three or four days. They always make a good point. They're always provocative. But here's Kevin, and he's sitting and having a cup of coffee with Jesus, which I highly recommend, especially if you like coffee. If you don't like coffee, have a cup of tea with Jesus. Have a Coke with Jesus. Spend some time with Jesus. Here's what he says. I sure wish you'd speak to me, Jesus. Jesus, when was the last time you cracked open your Bible, Kevin? Oh, I understand you speak through the Word, Jesus, but you know what I mean. I want to audibly hear you speak. Anybody? So read your Bible aloud, Jesus says. If you want to hear him speak out loud, read the red letters. We've made it simple. We color-coded Bibles. You want to hear Jesus speak to you? Read Scripture aloud. Read it in front of a mirror if that 
adds to the thing or play it on your phone. Like, scripture is such a tremendous gift. And I hope and pray that we are becoming a people of the word. That is one of my consistent prayers uh, for, for Linwood since I got here, that we would be and increasingly become a people of the word. I, I think that's a big step in becoming a family of families, like a healthier family of families. And that's why one of our core values is, is centering our lives on the word of God, that we, we don't just pay occasional visits. Like we find out what it says and we center our lives on his word. And so we see the, the disciples doing this. We see the early believers spending time in prayer and praying scripture. And keep in mind, like the boldness of their prayer, we see most clearly in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And they don't pray for protection. They don't pray that the, they'll be silenced, that, you know, that their opponents will be silenced or removed. They pray that they, as God's servants, would be able to speak his word with great boldness. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You see that? It's not God wringing his hands up in heaven. Now it's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What are we going to do? We keep threatening them. They go and pray, and now they're all speaking. We went from Peter being a problem to all of them being a problem. They're all speaking the word of God boldly. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's multiplying. And that's what it's supposed to do. That was Jesus' plan A from the beginning, that it would multiply. He's not looking for a ministry of addition. He's looking for a ministry of multiplication. And it's going from 3,000 to 5,000, and it continues to grow. And that's why we're sitting here today. And so we see here in Acts chapter 4 in particular, we see that the disciples were incredibly bold in three key areas, in their proclamation of the Word of God, in their face of persecution, and in their prayers to God, they exhibited great boldness. And I was thinking about bottom line, kind of seeing how that all fit together, and this is what I landed on. Bold belief comes from bold prayer and leads to bold proclamation. And I almost added, even in the face of persecution, but I thought that might be just a little too cute. But you get the point, like there is a relationship between the boldness of our prayer and the boldness of our proclamation and our boldness in the face of persecution and, and the boldness of our belief. And we should be praying for bolder belief. We should be praying for a bolder proclamation. We should be praying for bolder prayers. Like you can actually pray that. You can say, God, would you help me to be bolder in my prayer, knowing that if I'm bolder in my prayer, eventually I'll be bolder in my proclamation. And I'll be bolder in the face of persecution when it comes. And so I'll close with just a question. Where do you need more boldness? Where do I need more boldness? Where do we, as Linwood Wesleyan Church, need more boldness? Where do we, as the big capital C church around the world, where do we need more boldness? And only the Holy Spirit can answer that question for you individually. But I think we could all, and I think the church as a whole could benefit from greater boldness in prayer and in our proclamation of truth, of the gospel. And we may need greater boldness in the face of persecution in the days ahead. We should start praying for it now. We shouldn't wait. We should start praying for it now. And we should pre-decide how are we going to react in those moments. Not wait until the heat of the moment, but pre-decide. I will be bold. 
and pave the way for that boldness in prayer. And maybe, it, maybe you feel like, you know what, it's in the proclamation. I've missed several opportunities in the last few weeks that I can see in hindsight. I need to pray for greater boldness. I need to pray that I will say what Jesus has done. Or maybe it's in the face of persecution. Maybe you're feeling some heat. Maybe it's from family members. Maybe it's from a work environment that's, that's coming against your faith. And you need to be bold. Not arrogant. Not flippant, not a toxic, aggressive person, but bold in your faith. And maybe it is the prayer. Maybe you realize, I haven't prayed a very bold prayer in a while. I need to pray bold prayers. When was the last time you removed a tear in, tears in your prayers? And you were asking for something through tears. However the Spirit is leading you, I hope and pray as always, you'll take that next step, that you'll make a, a, a step of faith with Him. And it doesn't escape my mind that maybe the Spirit is whispering to you right now about baptism, and we've talked about it, and we've been focusing on that a little bit, and you need to check the box on your connection card. I want to be baptized, or you need to send an email, or you need to, to make plans to be at the, at the service or the teaching class on the 24th and be baptized on the 21st. And don't worry, if you can't be here on the 21st, we're going to baptize people again this year. So let us know. Communicate. We want to help you take that step. But whatever your next step is, and I hope and pray that you will take it in bold, confident faith. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story from Scripture and from the lessons that we can learn from it. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you speak to us, that you speak through your word, that you speak through your spirit, that you speak to us in prayer, that you speak through other believers. May we be a people who listen and a people who respond in faith. May we be bold, bold in our prayer, bold in our proclamation, and bold even in the face of persecution. Help us to respond in faith to you in these moments, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray.